Hey everyone, you're listening to the Arts Fuse Presents The Short Fuse Podcast. I am your host, Deanna Costa. Join me on an auditory exploration of our independent magazine on the show where we bring you the latest and greatest from our arts criticism community. On today's episode, we will be featuring an interview with two directors, one of which is a fellow Fuse contributor by the name of Tim Jackson, and he has brought on his good friend, Andrew Silver. We predominantly discussed his whole career, uh, everything that has been a theme in his movies, what he is looking to do in the future, and how it relates to some of his most recent past work. A really riveting conversation that I very much enjoyed, and I hope to see them again on this episode. We've also got Before It Starts by Aaron Halford, who will be coming up in next week's episode. So stay tuned, it's an action-packed one. Thank you, Deanna. So I'll just introduce Andrew. Andrew Silver has um, taught theater arts and film analysis at Brandeis University from 1968 to 1973. Then you got a doctorate in business administration and research. Uh, you're a research affiliate at MIT, where you lead a seminar in organizational change in leadership. You've produced, as I count, seven films, including a uh, 2019 series, Profiles in Early Childhood Education. Um, I'll just list those films because we'll be talking about all of them and we'll be doing clips from those. The Murderer was adapted from a Ray Bradbury story, and I was impressed to see it. it includes Frederick Forrest and Anne Francis in the cast, which is really nice. If you know who Anne Francis is, these names may be gone by now. The Return, you call it episode one. I don't think it was an episode two. Uh, <laughs> Paul Guilfoy was Paul in Guilfoy. The Murderer, and Fred Forrest and Anne Francis were in The Return. Ah, okay, okay. And then Profiles and Aspiration, which was about uh, athletes, female athletes. Yeah, so yeah. where where did all this started, so to speak, this collection started in 1974-5 with Next Door, which was about an eight-year-old who had a significant episode. He was left at home alone. And then it went to The Murderer, which was about somebody who felt too much stress and complications in his life. This was played by Paul Guilfoyle. And so he took an action against the technology. And then there was Return, which was a woman who was 22 and met someone who, under hypnosis, past lives regression, regression. encountered someone who claimed to be her grandfather, who it turned out had kidnapped her when she was very young, and what happened after that. So these are three significant episodes that shaped their experience of how they looked at life. But then came Profiles and Aspiration, which started when I saw my two sons grappling with aspiration and what to apply aspiration to. Should it be video games? Should it be piano? I decided to do it about women in sports because Title IX was very important at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so I interviewed about 50 women athletes, and then we used 20 spread over eight countries and different sports, not the main sports, but 
running and uh, yoga and uh, there were some so, Olympic sports as well, right? Yes. Yeah. And that became the sort of thread of aspiration. And then, of I course, see. you got to work and love, which is also aspirational right. activities and emotions. So that's what sort of tied these three together. And the first ones are narrative. And the next right. one is a documentary. And now you're back in documentaries with profiles of early childhood educators. Right. But between that, you did an entire, what I think of as a trilogy, all of a piece, same actors coming back again and again, well before Boyhood was done. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, can you talk about that, uh, those three films as a piece, and, and why you did that? What were you yes, it to... started off with a mother-daughter relationship, and both were at a, a critical time, right. having lost the husband and father. And then when I finished this film, I thought, well, why not? And that first one was Radio Cape Radio. Cod, which is a beautiful looking film, yeah. And then why not go to more generations, to the right. grandmother and the great-grandmother, great rather than widen it, go intergenerational, yeah. multi-generational. And that's how it came about. It seemed to be an ensemble with the same actors, but then spread over a long period of time, which gave everybody enough time to consider and reflect on who they were and bring whatever they right, brought the to the characters. Yeah. Because in the case of boyhood, of course, the same thing happened because it took place over a long period of time, but it went from six till 18, as opposed in ours, which was right. more or less 17 to 27. The years were actually 2008, and then you did the next one, 2015, right. mm. quite a time later, 15 then 2018, yeah. Second Wind is pretty recent. And, and what, is the, what is the process of working with these with actors like that? What is the collusion between what you want to write and what you want to say and what they've lived? I'm going to read you something that uh, Marissa Smith, who is my colleague and my co-writer on these um, Second Wind stories, and she said, Andrew has a unique ability to collaborate in the best sense of the word in that he believes in the mysterious alchemy of mixing ideas and energy in an unfettered fashion that enables the creation to emerge organically. And that's how we work, Marissa and I, and then that in turn is how I work with the actors and with the cinematographer in that day in natural light because you have to trust that that day is going to give enough light that is the same, so there is continuity. So in a way, it's it's a faith in the moment, mm -hmm. faith in the process, faith in your colleagues. As you mentioned earlier when we were talking, you don't have extras, so you only have the actors you have to worry about. You have to choreograph scenes with a lot of characters moving in and out. Right, so it's intimate. Mm -hmm. Since yeah. 2007. Yeah. How's it been for you, Tamsin? <laughs> well, Tamsin, um, <laughs> playing the same part for 10 years on and off has been, it's really quite interesting because I guess all the life experience I've had as my as myself, I, I've sort of been able to bring in 
to the character and I think it's informed the character and the relationships the character has in so many different ways. Mm. So yeah, how about you? More so now, obviously. Yeah, yeah, more so now because I think with 10 years hindsight you can actually look at some of the things the character's gone through and was going through and you can kind of see it in perspective. Does it now all make sense? <laughs> Not all makes sense. <laughs> Before and after, separate united, endings and beginnings. We need to fall in absolute love with our planet and everything in it and treat everything with the care and attentiveness that a, that a good lover would treat the object of his or her affection. Sunday, I think we're making the trees blush. <laughs> it's about time. Well, when you do fall for someone, will I be the first person you tell? Do you ever get a feeling like a undeniable hunch that's imperative to explore. Will I be the first person in you town? Love is... It's an unnecessary fantasy. Love. Love. Poetry. Yeah, I'll work on it. Francesca, Francesca Waters. Go with the flow. Just let it happen. No, it's lucky for me, Francesca. Call me Fran. He's spontaneous. <laughs> you bend as far as you can. I think you'll like it. You've sailed around the world three times. Super awesome three times. And how do you feel now? Fantastic. You're a young sapling. I'm an old oak. That doesn't matter, Great Granny. You know, you're taking a real risk when you ask an Englishman how he feels. Let's call it Mother, you are impossible. Yes, I'm impossible. You can see why Tana loved this place, can't you? Oh, yeah. Thank you. 
Also, with Radio Cape Cod, which is a, a really beautiful-looking film, nature to me seems to be a large part of that. It's almost this pantheist look at the world, right. <laughs> where where the nature of people is really brought out in the nature of the place, that Cape Cod light. So this general theme of who and what shapes us is not just time and not just all of us working together, but what happens in the outside the, world, which is nature space, and weather yeah. and... Food and so did you uh, intend for all of this to sort of center around Cape Cod? Have you always had a penchant for that well, place? Well, the story or? demanded it because mm -hmm. the main character was a scientist from MIT right, who worked at the Woods Oceanographic Institute. So that's why I was. I had been to Cape Cod, but it only as a casual. Where do you get to the actors? These actors are really good. One of them happens to be your son, <laughs> but he is an actor. Right. Yeah. Well, when we started with Radio Cape Cod, the main character was a radio interviewer for WCAI, which was the public radio station in Woods Hole. And somehow I felt that this should be someone with an English accent as a science reporter. Mm -hmm. So we went after English actresses. And then once that happened, then once you have the daughter, it made sense to have another English right. actress. Right. And then for logistics reasons, et cetera, et cetera, then it made sense to have the third character, who was the scientist, be English. Now, we, ch he, we changed his accent to American mm. because he was teaching at MIT. It's hard enough to get the right actors, but you bring them back you know, many years later. <laughs> How do you right. do that? Because they love the way we work. It's very relaxed, and it's um, very collaborative, and it's full of magic and mystery. Mm. Will there be another part of this obvious yes. question? Yes, yes. So we're still working on the next, the oh, next uh, part. 
It's partly done. It's with Harriet Walter, Dame Harriet Walter, mm. who does a scene with uh, my son. And then there's another part that's done also that has Tamsin Merchant in it. And so that's 22 minutes so far. And we'll do another one in the summer in 2020 to fill out that third part, which we call Surprise Engagement, which is about what happens when you meet someone who you didn't expect to meet. Mm. So it's quite chaotic. Okay. You're working on this script now, then? Yeah. Oh. What, where, I'm curious, where on the Cape are you shooting this? So this was shoot in England. Oh, I think. okay. I should mention that all of these can be seen on your Vimeo channel. Yeah, so Vimeo okay, on Demand. Yes, that, that was going to be one of my questions, how everyone can find you. So Vimeo on Demand, who and what shapes us? Okay, that's good to know. And, um, you know, I mean, I make films as well, so the uh, getting into the film festivals is always what you want for some kind of exposure. I don't think at this point you really even expect distribution because it's a crowded market. So you have to find a way to distribute, a way to niche, a way to get these out to people. What have you discovered is the best way to do that? Mm. I have discovered, because of what the films are, which is... English actors who are well-known in England but not so well-known anywhere else. And nothing blows up. Somebody said, so what distinguishes your films and what are the attributes? Mm. And I thought the prominence of women, the focus on love, that there's very little conflict, it's intergenerational, they're brief, natural light, and that there's a lot of actor participation in the creation. So what I found is that magazines still have diversity. Right. So because of the cast and because of the locations, the magazines would be either English or New England. Mm -hmm. And to work with the magazines in a way that tries to bring back the audiences that the internet and TV has taken away from them. There's a lot of special, we call them special interest magazines. Sure, yeah. So that's where it would come. And then you, my films mostly appeal to women. Sure. So there are plenty of women magazines. And so that's where to go. Or there's plenty location magazines. So Sussex in England or Cape Cod right, here. Right, the Cape or, Cod, yep. So that's, I think, the way to do it. And then, Hopefully it spreads because people say, oh, I like that, so I'll recommend it to my friend who lives in California. And so it sort of spreads right. because the thing has a long lifespan because it's on Vimeo on demand, so it can last for five years, right. as opposed to, say, Netflix, where it's come and gone in six months in or one year. Short contracts, yeah. And these algorithms, which are now predicting what's getting made, mm. It's ironic because everybody has the same information. So it means that everybody is making decisions based on the same data. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a glut of this kind of product, however it's defined, thematically right. cast, number of people who died, based on data. Yeah. But the truth is, in the olden days, a work was came from my soul and my mind and my feelings and my history and it hoped to touch something of the same that's affiliated in other people. Right. Something universal that people find in your personal vision. 
That's it. And that tends to go away when conglomerates are driven by data. That's it. Let's move to your um, profiles in early childhood educators. I've only seen one. Is there just the one so far? Just the one so far. Yeah. Um, what was the genesis of that? How did you come to that? Because it's a it's a, a right turn. But I got to say that there it's really interesting information. Who is it for, and how did how did you begin to do those? I think it's for the long form of this. Mm -hmm. the one that's on the website is twenty five minutes, but there's a longer form. That's for for teachers and for people who are serious about it professionally. Right. But this 25-minute version is really for parents. That's kind of the sense of that I got when I was listening to that clip, yeah. Kind of thinking about the way you the interact with your child and the way you build them up. And I can see, too, that with your background in education, there's a clear reason why you were drawn to that. But how did you decide on particularly the early childhood aspect? Because you have... Is just college teaching level, or did you teach other levels? Or? No, only college. Yeah. I think because it, it's underserved, and this mm. zero to three is such really a critical the most time. Critical. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. And that's what the, what the teachers are talking about as well. This is where this is where it starts. Right. I think that is a very interesting meld to have a business background and an arts background. So I'm. Curious if you have any comments on how those two worlds have combined. So in a business environment, caring about all of the stakeholders is the magic formula. Right. And the same thing, I think, in making a project that has creative elements or performance elements or temporary elements, it's, it's caring is the most important emotion. Absolutely. Yeah, I work in a lot of different art forms, and people say, well, how do you do all of those? It's all part of a larger piece. And for me, it's about empathy and communication. As a mom and as a teacher of this age group, that's what, for, for me, it is all about relationships, but it's about that relationship in which I believe that you are able, I believe that you are capable, that... I wonder who you are, you can wonder who I am, and we will make something together. But I think that our children are so inundated in society with this feeling of you're needy, you need help, we need to support you, we need, rather than saying, well, who are you and what can you do? And, uh, and I feel like that is the heartbeat of the relationships that I have in the classroom as well as the relationships that I have with my children. And I think the other, the other, the two words that always come to me are um, capable and citizenship, that all of the children that I work with are citizens of this world and they're citizens who are contributing, that are capable of doing things, of shaping society, of shaping culture. And that's how I see 
my, my children at home as well, that they're citizens and members of this community in which we all are contributing and we all are able. And sometimes that means that my four-year-old has her own knife set and helps me to dice the vegetables exactly. for dinner tonight, right, but right. that's what citizens or capable individuals sure. in our home community do. And that's how each of our classrooms are set up, to be this kind of mini microcosm of a society that works peacefully and perfectly, where everyone who's at the table has a voice. Everyone who's at the table um, who's part of the community contributes in some way. Everybody brings a different gift, and it's our work as teachers to see um, how children are able to um, cross that threshold of, of offering the gifts that they have, but also being able to receive and to listen and to come to consensus and to agree mm -hmm. and to not always have um, easy relationships, right? It's about the, the energy where, um, I, you know, I call it the stuff of preschool. We're in in this, this trying out of, of different personalities and these trying ons of different hats where we're asking children to think about who do you want to be and, and a lot of that comes with how much power do you have over other people and how much power am I giving to others over me. So the, the stuff of preschool for us is really all of this relationship stuff that's built into how we communicate and how we relate as a community. So each of our little classrooms have an amazing community that's all of their own um, and they're also unique. So when we say one person's absent, the whole community changes for the day. Or one person leaves yeah. the community, the entire community shifts. Thanks again to Aaron Halford for that awesome song, Before It Starts, and as always to our intro-outro specialist, transitions and all, Dylas. Well, that was the short of it. If you'd like to read more by our incredible contributors, you can find us online at artsfuse.org. If you're looking for more pod content, you can check out our social medias at the Short Fuse Podcast Facebook, Twitter at the Short Fuse Pod, the Short Fuse Podcast Patreon, which is cruising right along. And you can find us on Simplecast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for another great week, everybody. We're looking forward to bringing you interview and live music from Aaron Halford next week.